Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. What word would you use to describe heaven? Would you say peaceful or beautiful or maybe even holy? The possibilities are endless. Today, John asks us to think about that question, and he gives us his answer as he continues his series on the book of Revelation with the first of a two-part message entitled, Why is Heaven Perfect? If I said to you, choose one adjective, any adjective you want to choose to describe heaven, what word would you use? Some of you might say, man, only one word to describe heaven? I think I would use the word beautiful because in heaven, in the Bible, we read how heaven is going to be so absolutely beautiful. And if we were in class and I were the teacher, I would give you an A for that. Some would say, well, that's a good word, but I think I would use the word wonderful because, man, everything about heaven is going to be so wonderful. You would get an A for that word. Some would say, you know, I think if I were having to describe heaven with only one word, I would use the word indescribable because how can we as humans describe the sights and the sounds and everything that's going to be like in heaven? And I would give you an A for that. That's a great word. But if I were the student and you were the teacher and you said, John, you can only use one word to describe heaven, one adjective, what would it be? I would use the word perfect. Because heaven, above and beyond everything else, is a perfect place. Now, we know that when we get to heaven, we're going to have perfect bodies, right? There'll be no more aging, no more sickness, no more pain. None of that's going to be up in heaven, so that'll be perfect. We also know that heaven itself is a perfect environment. There'll be no sin in heaven, and we won't even be tempted to sin. So I think the word perfect really describes heaven probably maybe better than any other word. Now, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter number four, John is describing this experience where he was taken up into heaven. And in the spirit, he got to go to heaven and see things that were going on up there. And he says, verse one, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on that throne. And so John has a vision. He's taken to heaven and he sees God. And he sees God seated on his throne. It's interesting, in this chapter, the word throne is used 13 times. 11 times it refers to the throne upon which God sits. In the book of Revelation, somebody has said you could call this book the throne book. Because in Revelation, the word throne is used 45 times. And in the rest of the New Testament, it only appears 15 times. And so the the whole idea of a throne, God's throne in heaven, the place upon which God sits, is a big deal. And now John is having a vision. He's experiencing that. He's in heaven, and he's seeing this. And as he describes it in verse 3, And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in 
appearance. And so as John is seeing God seated on his throne, he uses the, the, the analogy of a jasper and a sardius stone. Now, turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. I want us to think about what, what this jasper stone, what that must be like. In Revelation 21, John is describing heaven. Now, remember, in chapter 4, he's describing God and the throne of God. Now, he's describing the entire city of heaven. And in Revelation 21, second half of verse 10, he says, The great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, and then he, descri- he defines jasper, clear as crystal. He's probably describing a diamond here. That's what John sees. He's, he's trying all this light coming out. And we know that a diamond refracts all the different colors that there are of light. So he's seeing, he's seeing this. He's seeing all this light around the throne of God. And then he says, uh, back in chapter 4, this uh, sardius stone. Sardius stone, most likely, is, was talking about there was a red color around the throne of God. So I want you just to try to get this in your mind. I know we haven't been to heaven. We've not seen what John saw. But I want you to try to imagine a huge throne in heaven, and sitting on that throne is God. And the brilliance of the light is absolutely amazing. Light is being refracted like from a diamond. And the dominant color around this throne appears to be the color red. And that would certainly be a reminder to us throughout eternity of the blood of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to go to heaven and to be with God in the first place. And then he describes not only the throne and all these colors, but he says, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And so emerald is talking about a greenish color, so a rainbow is multicolored, but the dominant color in this rainbow appears to be the color green. And so we know from the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 16, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light. In other words, if we went to heaven today in our human bodies and with our human eyes, undoubtedly the brightness of heaven would blind our eyes. We couldn't, we couldn't behold all this coming from the throne of God. But when we get to heaven, we'll have new bodies and we'll have new eyes. And with our new eyes, we will be able to see all this light that is coming out from God and from the presence of God and from the throne upon which he sits. Now, as we think about why is heaven perfect? Why did I choose the word perfect to describe heaven. I wish you would jot this down in your outline today. First of all, in heaven, we will have perfect understanding. Perfect understanding. I love this phrase in the third verse where as he describes this rainbow, he says there was a rainbow around the throne. Not just above the throne, but around the throne. When after a big storm happens in our world, when the storm's over, many times we go outside and we see a rainbow. It, it goes from one spot to another spot. It's above the earth. But we only see part of the rainbow. We only see the bow. But in heaven, John said, I'm, so, I'm seeing something I've never seen. Not only God and his throne, but around the throne, I am seeing a complete circle. I'm seeing a full rainbow, which says to me that in heaven, we will will be able to understand things more clearly than we understand on earth. Isn't that what it's like on earth? We go through problems and challenges and heartache and pain, and we're not able to see the purpose 
uh, behind all that and all the things that God has in mind or why God would have allowed that. But in heaven, we will have a clear and a perfect understanding of all the things that have happened on earth. First of all, we'll have a perfect understanding of the difficulties of life. We don't understand. Somebody gets cancer today. Somebody loses their job today. A loved one dies today. Somebody loses uh, their home today. Somebody's house burns. And we don't understand, not fully, why God would allow those things to happen. We sing the old song, uh, farther along, we'll know all about it. And that's true. When we get to heaven, we will know all about it. But down here on earth, we can't really understand. God, why would you allow this to be going on? Why? The, the, the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, we don't know the full answer of that. Sometimes we go through something and, and we don't know why God allowed it. Years go by, we look back on it. Well, now it makes sense. But see, in heaven, everything will make sense. That thing you're going through right now in your family or in your personal life that makes absolutely no sense to you, there's coming a day when it will make perfect sense. When you get to heaven, you will have perfect understanding. You will know just as you are now known by God. But not only will we have perfect understanding of the difficulties and the heartache and the pain, we'll have a perfect understanding of the faithfulness of God. That's what a rainbow really symbolizes, right? God's promise back in Genesis 9, after God had flooded the earth and everybody had been killed except for Noah and his family, God said to Noah, Noah, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky and it's going to be a sign to you and to everybody else. Every time you look up in the sky and see that rainbow, it will be a reminder that I will never flood the earth like that again. I'll never do it again. And so the rainbow points to God's promises. It points to God's faithfulness. And so what does this have to do with us in heaven? Everything. When we get to heaven, we will be able to look back on everything we went through in life and see that not only did God have a purpose for the difficulty, but God was faithful. God's promises were true. God's presence was there. God's grace was sufficient at every turn and through everything we went through in life. And so I want to just pause right here today. And I know this is a very devotional life application truth, but that's what we need. And I want to just say to those of you here today who are going through something that makes no sense to you, I want to encourage you. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to God. And just because it doesn't make sense to you now doesn't mean that it won't make sense to you one day. The fact is, many of the things that we go through that don't make sense when we're going through them, they make sense even on earth years later. But even some things that will never make sense on earth, eventually and ultimately, it will make sense when we get to heaven and when we have the mind of God. And so just remember this, it makes sense to God. And one day it will make sense to you. One of the things that, that I love about heaven and that I will love about heaven is that we will have perfect understanding. I really believe when we get to heaven, there are going to be a lot of aha moments. I think we're going to say to God, God, I had no idea. God, I never would have dreamed. God, I never knew that you allowed me to go through that so that through that experience you could grow my faith, so that through that experience you could purify my character. God, so that through that experience, through that broken heart, you could minister more effectively through me. God, I never knew that's why you allowed that into my life. Everything will make sense when we get to heaven. So it doesn't make sense now. 
We know it'll make sense then. So what do we do in the meantime? We choose to walk by faith. And we choose to say, God, I trust you. Now, God, I can only see the bow. I can only see the top half of the rainbow. But God, from your perspective, you see it all. And so now I walk by faith, not by sight. I walk by faith, not by feeling. I walk by faith, not by understanding. And I choose, God, to trust you with what will one day make sense. I'm saying to you that in heaven, we'll have perfect understanding. But not only that, in heaven, we'll have perfect fellowship with each other. And this is one of the things that is going to make heaven so wonderful. The fellowship that we will have, the togetherness that we will have with one another. And folks, let's face it. We don't have perfect fellowship with each other now. We really don't. Fellowship gets broken. Things happen. Have you ever noticed in the course of a day how many times you say goodbye? Even to your, maybe your spouse or your parents or your children or your siblings or your friends. Even today at church, after the service is over, no doubt we'll all be talking to each other for a few minutes. And at the end of those conversations, what are we going to say? Have a good afternoon. See you tonight. See you next Sunday. Have a great week. So long, bye, see you later. We spend much of our life telling people that we're close to goodbye. One of the things I'm thankful for is when we get to heaven, there will be no more goodbyes. When we get to heaven, there'll be no more hanging up of the phone. One of the things I'm going to love about heaven, there won't even be a phone. I don't like phones on earth. I'm declaring I'm going to be on that. But there will never be any goodbyes because we won't have to do that. Now, look in verse 4. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole chapter. And this verse is so loaded That last night when I was finishing this sermon, it was just like God said, you just park it right here and finish the sermon on this second point. So that's what we're going to do. John said, around the throne, that is around God's throne, were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So John said, man, you need to understand, when I got to heaven and saw the throne of God and all this light coming out from it, I also noticed something else. Around that throne, in a circle, there were 24 more thrones. And on these thrones, there were 24 elders. Now, the question is, who are these people? Who are the 24 elders? There's some who say that the elders are angels. But we know that's not true for several reasons. First of all, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about angels having crowns of gold on their heads. And if you look in chapter 5 in verse 11, I'll show you something else. He's describing this heavenly scene. And John said, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And so as John is describing what he saw around the throne of God, he makes a distinction between the angels and the elders. These elders are something separate from the angels. So the question is, who are these people? You study this passage, you're going to find that Bible scholars are in agreement that these 24 elders represent redeemed humanity. They represent people who have been saved, whose sins have been washed away with the blood of Jesus Christ. What does an elder do? An elder represents, even in a church today, we don't use that term much in in our church, but, but what does an elder do? Or if there are elders in a church, you might call the staff. These are the elders in the church. What do they do? They represent the church. These 24 elders, what are they doing? They are representative of all of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Just This is not necessarily life-changing, but it's interesting. 
There are some who say that 12 of these elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs, Jacob's sons, and the other 12 represent the 12 apostles. And you say, well, John, where would people get that? Go back to chapter 21. I'm just going to show you this because I find it interesting. We have no way of knowing, by the way, if that's true. We don't, we're not told that half the elders are Old Testament saints and half the elders are the apostles. But, but we do have something in Revelation 21 that makes us at least give that some consideration. In verse number 12, as John is describing heaven, he said, Also, she had a great and high wall. So there's a high wall surrounding heaven and with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. So to go into heaven, you have to walk through a gate, but to get through the gate, you have to get past an angel because the angels are guarding the gates and names written on them. That is names written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so in heaven, there is No question that these patriarchs from the Old Testament are honored in a very special way. Look in verse 14. He's describing the wall again. He said, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now we're talking about Peter and James and John and and Thomas and Matthew and all 12 of the apostles. And so there's some who say, that's what these are, the 12 patriarchs and then the 12 apostles. Maybe so, maybe not. The point is that we do know these 24 elders represent redeemed humanity. They represent those of us who've been saved. And so what is true of these 24 elders in that they are sitting around the throne is also true of us. When we get to heaven, we will be around the throne of God. Think about that. First and most important, in the presence of God Himself. But not only that, we will be in perfect fellowship with one another. We'll be sitting together. I'll be able to see you. You'll be able to see me. We'll have for the first time in our lives unbroken fellowship. No more goodbye. No more see you later. No more hang up the phone. None of those things. We will be together in perfect and in unbroken fellowship for all eternity. Now, as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about life on earth, yours and mine, what causes fellowship to be broken and for our fellowship with each other not to be perfect? I wrote out, and I, if you're a note taker, you might want to just jot these four words down. The four D's that can break fellowship. The four D's that can break fellowship. And the first D is what I'm calling distance. Distance. And you've probably experienced this in your life. Certainly you have. You grew up, you were in junior high and high school, and you had your best friend, and you saw your best friend every day, and then you graduated, and he went one way, and you went another way, and, and, and it's not that you're out of fellowship, it's just that because y'all are living in different places now, you're not experiencing that same fellowship that you did. Distance can do that. I'll tell you something else that can, that can break fellowship, and this is really sad. Disagreements. Disagreements. Here are two people, they're close, they're friends. And they get in a conversation about politics or something else. And one person sees it this way and one person sees it that way. And so they get in an argument and they allow that disagreement to break their fellowship. And it's a sad thing. You know, I mean, I, sometimes I get in conversations with people and we talk about politics. And, and I tell them what I think. And, and then they tell me what they think. And what they think is 180 degrees from what I think. I mean, they are clearly wrong in their view. They're clearly wrong. 
But you know what I've learned? I've learned in life the issue is never as important as the relationship. What we're disagreeing about is not as important as our, as our relationship. And so I encourage you today, hey, nobody's going to agree on everything, but just because you don't agree on a political issue or, or some other thing in life, or you know, don't let that issue be a wedge in your relationship. Try to keep that wedge together. I've learned through the years, one of the things I say if I'm talking to somebody and they say something that I think is just out in left field, I, instead of arguing with them, I say, you know, that is very interesting, very interesting. That's my way of saying, I think you've lost your mind. <laughs> but sometimes disagreements can break our fellowship, and it's sad. We should try our best not to let that happen. Something else that can, that can do that, difficulties in life. Here's a person with an illness. Here's a person who can no longer come to church. I think about our own church family. I think about the hundreds of members who have died in our congregation since we moved to this location. And I think about many more probably in the hundreds here who they're still living, but they're in assisted living. They're in a nursing home. Maybe they're still at home, but they can't drive anymore. They can't come to church. And so people that used to be here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, we look around now and they're not able to be here anymore. And so the fellowship has been broken. It's not that we're out of fellowship, not that there was an argument. It's just they can't be here. And sometimes the difficulties of life has a way of changing who we interact with and interface with on a daily and on a weekly schedule. And then the fourth D, and this would be the biggest of all, of course, would be death. Death is the ultimate fellowship breaker. Somebody dies and they're gone from us. Even if they were saved, we thank God that they're in heaven, but they're not with us. I was counting up last night, and I may have miscounted. I may have undercounted, but I know for sure in the last three weeks, I have officiated six different funerals for people or families whom I am very close to, and some, many of those people who died, I knew very well, and so I was close to them. And as I was thinking about this, preparing this sermon, how death can separate us. What is it that is so hard about physical death? Let me ask you this question. Why do we cry when a loved one dies? Why do we cry? Is it because we have weak faith and we don't believe that they're in heaven? No. Is it because we have bad theology and we don't understand that they're better than they'll ever, than they, no, it's not that. I'll tell you why we cry when our loved one dies, because we're human. And because as human beings, we have emotions. And the reason we cry when a loved one dies is not because our faith is weak, and it's not because our theology is bad. The reason we cry when a loved one dies is because we miss our loved one. And we can't call them anymore. And we can't run by their house anymore. We can't go to a ball game with him anymore, and we can't go out to eat with him anymore, and we can't see them anymore. That's the thing that's so hard about death. It's not that we don't know where they are. It's not that we don't know that they're doing great. It's the fact that our hearts are broken because our fellowship with them has temporarily been broken. The good news from this chapter today is, and from these 24 elders around the throne is, and what John is saying to us, and what God is saying to us today, for those of us, and that's really all of us, who have lost a loved one and our fellowship with them is temporarily broken. There is coming a day when we will be around the throne of God and we will be back with them forever and for always. Perfect fellowship will be restored.
and we'll be with them, and they will be with us. Death is a separation. That's what the word death means, separation. It's a separation of the soul from the body, but it's also a separation of one person from another person, at least temporarily. But there's coming a day when we will be reunited because Jesus Christ has conquered death. And so the pain we feel, though real, is temporary, and God even helps us through that. As we think about heaven and heaven being perfect, Perfect understanding, perfect fellowship with each other. I mean, everything is just going to be perfect in heaven. And I want you to think about this. Heaven is a perfect place for people who have been made perfect in God's sight by the blood of Jesus Christ and by their faith in His blood. We hope that today's message, Why is Heaven Perfect?, has been an encouragement to you. You can find this message, along with many others, on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. If you have any questions about heaven, or you're wondering how to make sure that you will spend eternity with God in heaven, God has written a book you can find on our website entitled, How to Make Heaven Your Home. This booklet is also available in Spanish, and you can find both versions under the booklets tab on our website. Thank you for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.